Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, March 22nd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And today marks the final installment of our four-part series on SPACs. And we've got one more great interview to wrap things up. App Harvest is a company that combines conventional agricultural techniques with cutting-edge technology and is addressing key issues, including improving access for all to nutritious food, farming more sustainably, building a homegrown food supply, and more. Recently, I had the good fortune to chat with David Lee, president of App Harvest, about the business, its journey to the public markets via SPAC, and the roles technology and 5G are playing in the burgeoning ag tech movement. We hope you enjoy our conversation. David, thanks so much for joining me today. This is really a thrill to be able to talk with you, particularly because App Harvest is such a young company, and I, I think that the goals are, are so big, so bold, and, and so honestly admirable. I mean, I, I think it's just uh, this would be a lot. This would be a lot of fun. Uh, this conversation, and I wanted just to see if we could start just just talking about exactly what App Harvest is. It's a fairly new business, I think, to a lot of investors. Probably a lot of folks don't know about App Harvest or AgTech. Uh, let's start with start with App Harvest. So, what is App Harvest? App Harvest is a, a newly public company whose mission is quite ambitious. It's, it's to help make a better food and ag company from seed to the plate. Uh, we like to think that um, our fruits and vegetables will be better for consumers, that consumers will vote for, for example, our tomatoes that use recycled rainwater and don't use up all the precious resources of the globe, uh, have no chemical pesticides and are, are grown right in the United States. In fact, we're trying to bring to central Appalachia, Kentucky, West Virginia, for example, a, a brand new industry, um, a renaissance from the old days of coal mining to the new days of technology enabled uh, renewable food. Uh, that's our mission. Um, so I'm super excited to, to talk with you about it today. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that strikes me about what you're doing with App Harvest, it feels like you're focused on solving what is clearly becoming a crucial problem, right? I mean, we have a planet of, of, of growing demand, right? More and more people every year, uh, seemingly dwindling resources in the face of that growing demand. I mean, what you're doing in regard to recycled, recycled rainwater, uh, the, the controlled agriculture, using technology to your advantage, it just we like to find companies that are really focused on solving big and crucial problems. And that's what strikes me um, about App Harvest first and foremost. Now, I, the interesting thing to me is obviously a very young company, still very new. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how much you're generating in revenue, but I know it's really just kind of getting started, right? That ball just getting rolling as well. And, and, and SPACs have been a big topic of conversation among the investing community, certainly certainly in our uh, a foolish investing community here at The Motley Fool. I, what was it about going the SPAC route that made sense for App Harvest at this time versus the other options, traditional IPOs, direct listings? What was it about uh, going the SPAC route that, that made sense to y'all? Well, it's interesting. You know, I joined the board of the company back in August before the merger announcement with Novus Capital, who was the SPAC sponsor, right. happened in September. Um, and so I had a chance as a board member, uh, as an independent board member, to really think about all of the options. 
uh, private, public, direct listing SPAC IPO. Um, and when we thought about the urgency of our mission, you know, as you mentioned, we simply can't make enough food to serve the existing and future needs. And with climate change, it gets even more challenging. It, it felt that our business and our mission had a sense of importance and urgency. And so for us, one notable factor was to find a partner, um, Bob Lakin and the team at Novus understood the long-term mission and frankly allowed us to operate with, with speed. You, you know, it was from September to when in uh, the third week of January, we were trading under our own ticker APPH. Yeah. Uh, and that allowed us to bring in great uh, pipe investors like Fidelity. Um, we had a significant pipe along with the proceeds uh, from our sponsor partner. And, um, you know, as a result, we are building, we, you know, we're going to build 12 very large at scale. I mean, our first farm for perspective in Moorhead, Kentucky is a little under 2.8 million square feet, 60 acres, wow. which um, isn't an idea. Like we, we built it, we are harvesting from it. It has the ability to do 40 million pounds of uh, product and, and tomatoes, for example. And imagine we're going to have 12 of those by 2025. It, we really think that we need to operate quickly to have the impact for our investors in terms of their return, but also for the mission so that consumers in the U.S. can trust the products that they're consuming, that they're not all imported anymore from outside the country covered in chemical pesticides. You know, something like two-thirds of the vine crops that we all eat today are imported from outside the United States. These are vine crops that are bred to be stuck on a truck using up a bunch of diesel for days. Yeah. Whereas our, our product is wholesome. It's, uh, you know, a day away from 70% of the population that wants to buy great produce. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, was, I found grown. that statistic fascinating. That, yeah. that to me is something I think a lot of people won't think about it. And, and to your point about the imports, I mean, listen, it's, it's living in a global community and, and, and imports and exports, and that's always going to be part of part of the deal. But, but when I saw some of these numbers, I mean, we, talking about tomatoes, because I think that's the primary focus for at, at Harvest right now, uh, I saw something like 4 billion pounds pounds of tomatoes were imported from Mexico last year. And to your yeah. point, I mean, those are, those are tomatoes that are not being grown in a sustainable fashion. There's pesticides. Uh, they know, don't taste great. Concerns. You know, they, <laughs> they need to be designed for transport. The yeah. global impact on all the diesel that's used is significant. It, I listen, we have a lot to prove, but um, we have the potential at App Harvest to, to not just make a better product. Uh, but to make it in a way that's better for the world. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we're proud to provide a living wage to our employees. We're investing in more and more skilled labor in the, in the U.S., in central Appalachia. We're trying to make a difference in every aspect of the company. That's the ambition um, of, of what we're trying to do. I love that. I mean, that's that's bold, and that's that's what you got to be. I think these days. Um, let's dig a little bit further into the SPAC discussion there, because I think your background is really fascinating as well. I mean, you used to be the CFO. You were the chief financial officer of Impossible Foods, which I know a lot of our uh, members and listeners have have heard of, and, and clearly we've seen the reception to companies like Beyond Meat coming public. I mean, I, I think that the attitude towards finding new and creative solutions towards our our food chain. Uh, supply is, is, is that attitude is only, only, I, th I think, growing and becoming a little bit more open-minded. What, what about, what were some of the experiences that you had with your time at Impossible Foods that, that gave you the confidence to, to come 
to such a new operation here with App Harvest and, and do what y'all are doing? Well, yeah, it was a wonderful five years at Impossible Foods. I started in 2015 when the company was pre-revenue, pre-brand, pre-supply chain. And I joined as the chief operating officer and CFO. And my, my mandate was to launch the business and grow it. Um, and so for me, learning at Impossible Foods, how technology and a brand, basically how consumers and capitalism could combine to be powerful, positive forces of change. You know, I, I think we raised $1.3 billion from large global funds who invest in private and public companies like Tomasic and Mira Global Asset Management and others. Uh, and it was such a privilege to be able to take a business um, pre-business to, to take a mission in R&D and to, to develop the sales, the marketing and the fundraising. Uh, and I, I'm a big believer in, in the team there. You know, um, while I'm super excited to join as president of App Harvest, uh, I frankly exercised every single option I was given <laughs> over the five years I was there as COO and, and CFO. And um, I'm a big believer in that. It's just another great example of companies like Impossible Foods or App Harvest, and there are a few others that are seeing consumers and investors, you know, ESG investors, retail investors, and everyday consumers vote with their stomach and their paycheck. They really want to be a part of companies that are better for them and the world. Uh, and I think with um, what's to come, you're going to see a wave of more and more investment via SPAC and otherwise in companies like Impossible Foods and App Harvest because the food system desperately needs new technology and a new set of brands. Um, I'm encouraged by everyone in the space. The, the problems we're solving at App Harvest and the problems we were solving at, at Impossible are so global and large that we can afford to have a rising tide for a number of great, successful, perhaps one day public uh, companies, um, all, all trying to solve the same enormous problem, uh, but maybe in different ways. Yeah. And I, I think to your point there in regard to uh, that, that rising tide, I mean, that's, you look at a market opportunity like this. I mean, that's the beauty of food is they, everybody's got to eat. Right. <laughs> and that is one of the, that is one of the greatest recurring revenue models. I mean, people have to eat. And, and so I think it's really, it's refreshing to see your approach. It's, re it's refreshing to see this, this widespread approach. And, and we've seen Certainly, with the the advent of certif uh, certified B corporations, right? I mean, this this new idea where companies actually have to consider the the impacts of their decisions. I mean, it's not just a good thing to do it now. I mean, there's actually there, there are legal implications mm -hmm. there, and it seems like that's a growing movement too. I mean, that's got to be a point of pride there for your for your company. Absolutely. You know, I remember uh, in 2004 to 2012. I was at a company called Del Monte Foods. We were public. I yeah. ended up taking it private, selling it to KKR and others. And I remember when I was running the consumer products, the food business, and we put in solar at a number of our locations. Back then, um, we were doing the right thing for the environment. We were doing the right thing for our bottom line. I mean, it, it created <laughs> such savings on cost of goods sold for us that it was just a win-win decision. Today, the big difference since those days running a big food company, you're seeing investors demand that that be the common practice. And yeah. um, we're proud. I think we're one of just a handful of public companies that are both uh, B certified and a benefit corp. And what that means for us is that we can make decisions that serve the bottom line and serve uh, the planet and our employees 
equally well. Um, we are a for-profit company, to be clear. Sure. Um, we think doing uh, good by the world is a great model to reward our investors. Um, and in the case of food, it's really true because of how daily uh, we consume it and also how big an impact it has on the environment. It's probably a little more challenging to do what we're trying to do if we weren't in the business of creating sustainable food. Uh, but it, yeah. it seems totally doable. And, and I'm proud that the company is on this path. So I think if you, if, if anybody just Googles App Harvest, I think the first thing they probably learn, it's this very tomato centric um, business right now. I mean, I think that's really what you're best known for. And I, I've read something about these 48 foot tall tomato vines, which I've got a green thumbs. So I, I mean, I enjoy growing tomatoes in the summer at home. And I think about a 48 foot tall <laughs> tomato vine. And I think, wow. Um, but but it, it, to me, it seems like this is a this is a platform ultimately that you're building. I mean, we talk a lot about yeah. technology and companies where they're building this this platform where you can do many different things. It seems to me that with App Harvest, I mean, you're essentially doing the same thing, just serving a different market. And so, I mean, it, it feels like I mean, you've got to be able to go well beyond just tomatoes. I mean, oh, I wonder yes. if you could share a little bit about what the future holds for App Harvest. What direction do you feel like this business can can go and beyond? just tomatoes, for example. Well, it's interesting that the first way I like to think about how big our potential can be is to start with demand and then share how we're going to fulfill it. The demand uh, right here in the United States, but it's true globally for better fruits and vegetables is, is immense. Um, yeah. Some have estimated uh, a desire for 20,000 acres of controlled environment agriculture here in the United States alone. You know, here we are talking about our uh, 60 acre first farm and, and 12 more to come. Consumers are ready and they're asking for affordable, better fruit and veg. Only one in 10 uh, of us consumers get enough fruits and vegetables. And, and with the change to the climate, it's even more of an opportunity given that demand is there. Our approach is different than a lot of companies. We take large scale facilities, not small um, rooftop facilities, large farms. <laughs> and we take proven technology that already exists. If, if you travel to the Netherlands, which is one of the largest producers of produce for Europe, you'll see that technology today exists to have an incredible farm that's insulated from the weather, that uses far less water, et cetera. In addition, we have pioneered four areas of technology so that it, you know, it's not just what we have today, we are making investments to have the best technology today and tomorrow. Um, and it's everything from the nanobubble technology we use to make sure the water that we recycle has maximum oxygen and nutrients. It's the automation and robotics uh, that we're pioneering to make sure we can supplement the hard workers in our farms. Um, we have an artificial intelligence platform. We have uh, cutting edge LED lights that are designed to, to use far less electricity than other forms of uh, requirements for farming. So uh, for us, um, going with speed at scale to serve a huge amount of demand today, but using technology to do better for people's health and uh, for the planet um, is the way that we are choosing to approach the problem.
Well, I like that. I do a lot of the cooking in our house, most of the cooking, I would say. And, and so uh, I, I, for one, I work hard to make sure we get our fair share of fruits and vegetables. I feel like we always need more, but I'm always looking for quality stuff. And uh, it sounds like you're definitely churning that out. Uh, you, you, you mentioned something a moment ago, and, and I want to I want to turn the conversation in a little bit of a different direction here uh, because technology is such an important part of what you all are doing. And, and so we are hearing a lot about fintech, for example, these days. Uh, many investors out there probably don't realize that there's such a thing as ag tech. And, and that's really, that's, that's the market that not only you all pursue, but I think it's, it's probably safe to say that you've been, you've been really, I think, pivotal in, in defining that, that market. Uh, but, but, Tell us, what is ag tech exactly? Well, ag tech for me is how you use technology to do better by the consumer. An example would be um, our farms can yield 30 times the amount of fruits and vegetables than a typical one. Um, And what does that mean? It means that we can provide a better product that's better for health in the world faster, and we can do it at affordable prices. Yeah. Um, a big part of the mission we have is to give everybody the ability to have a better choice. Uh, and so technology is critical, but not if it doesn't deliver something that creates a consumer movement, that creates positive change. Uh, and for ag tech, what's interesting is if you think about the seed, you know, we work hard on our non-GMO seed that produces a great tomato, for example, <laughs> that tastes great. And from the seed to the plate, you know, meaning what seed we use, how we grow grapefruit and veg in a way that's better using technology for the world and consumers. And then how do we deliver it using less diesel, less miles with a brand that increasingly, you know, consumers are looking for brands they can really trust, not just brands of yesteryear, like the companies I used to work for, but new brands that stand for a better company, you know, that treat its employees better. And a big part of that is trying to make a difference here in the U.S., Um, have a homegrown, better solution focused in central Appalachia, replace perhaps some of those coal mining jobs that have been lost with renewable food jobs. And the whole seed to plate uh, uh, spectrum uh, requires technology. Uh, And it's technology that when you're a young upstart like App Harvest, we have the benefit of taking a clean sheet of paper and picking the best that the world can offer in technology today versus some of the larger players. So I, I remember running the business at Del Monte um, or even in technology when I was the CFO at Zynga. It's hard sometimes when you're part of a multi-billion dollar already public enterprise uh, to seek to do the, the very best by consumers with the best technology because you're oftentimes cannibalizing sales that were created decades ago. Um, and the great thing about these new companies like App Harvest is we can start fresh uh, and try to make a difference uh, right now. Yeah. So in regard to technology, because obviously ag tech, I mean, that technology is really a core, core, core to it. Um, 5G is really uh, taking off as a big point of discussion among among uh, the consumer community, among the investing community. It really uh, it's something that's gaining gaining a lot of, of traction here. How, how does 5G play into your strategy with the business? Is 5G something that you're finding? Is, is, are you finding that 5G, this, this rollout of 5G, is it, opening, is it opening doors? Is it opening windows of opportunity for the business as far as the connected farm goes? Because, I mean, 
you y'all are utilizing all of that stuff. You're utilizing cloud services and, and connectivity and sensors. Right. I mean, all of that stuff comes into play. How important is something like 5G to your business? I think it's 5G and other forms of connectivity are critical because we, we use artificial intelligence. You know, we monitor in real time our plans. Right. And you imagine a company that has, first in the US, we've talked about 12 of these enormous uh, CEA farms in central Appalachia. But frankly, our platform has a global mandate. Um, so having the ability in real time to have access to data on growing conditions, connectivity to multiple sites of production, and as a public company, having the ability to be resident in one part of the world, I'm, I'm zooming in from California and my company is based in Kentucky, yeah. that interconnectivity is critical for us to leverage the best talent and the best data. Um, so I think it's it's critical for ag tech and, and that's one of the things about ag tech. It, it's so fundamental the need to have good food. It's such a huge use of the world's resources that it spans almost all forms of technology from biotech in the seed to all the connectivity data requirements we have in software and hardware with automation, <clears throat> all the way through to how we grow and produce a 30x yield in, in our, in our uh, farms that we're building. Um, we really are a, a technology company uh, and we benefit from all of it. Um, what about distribution? I think given, given that you are such a young company, I think a lot of folks are really just maybe hearing about you for the first time, perhaps uh, listening, listening to our conversation here. Um, obviously we go to the grocery store. Most people go to the grocery store to get food, right? That's where we get our fruits and vegetables and whatnot. What, what types of, of distribution agreements do you have partners? Do you have in, in the, in the industry today that are helping spread the word and, and, and get that product further out beyond just that Appalachia, uh, a hub where y'all work. So we <clears throat> like to focus in the areas that we believe we have strategic advantage, right? And you've heard about it. Um, from how we grow our product, uh, even to the seed that we use to grow it. But our brand is a critical uh, area of future competitive advantage because very few companies have the opportunity to stand for uh, a better food company and better food all the way through the, the life of, for example, a tomato or another vine crop. We've made agreements uh, with great distribution partners. We think the best in the business today so that our initial focus is just to scale up the production and provide our brand the most product we can, but we leverage partners so that you can go to a Kroger or a, eventually we hope every major supermarket chain to find an app harvest tomato or other vine crop, or maybe who knows a leafy green one day. Mm. Um, that's an area of partnership for us. Uh, and um, we think that if you build a great product and great brand and you partner with the best distributors to get it to market, that eventually over time, you create a consumer movement uh, that continues to push the mission in the business. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it, it, it just, it, it makes me think of you go to the store and you see the Chiquita banana. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to be going to the store now and forever I will be looking for those app harvest tomatoes and, and whatever other fruits and veggies you all bring to the table. I, I um, hope you do. I, I think, you know, we're a little bit away before you'll be able to find it in every grocery store. But listen, I... Uh, have been in the branded produce business a long time. I was at Del Monte Foods for what, almost eight years. And 
it's it's really true already that consumers look for brands. Um, yeah. They they want to trust what they pick up, and I hope that at Harvest um, that we can create a brand where people can really trust it as well. Well, it sounds like you all are on the right path, and uh, I'm excited to watch uh, your progress as as, uh, as as you you move along. I think you're doing something really important there with the company. I really appreciate you taking the time today, David, to speak with us. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again soon. That sounds great. Take care. You too. And that's going to do it for us this week, folks. We hope you enjoyed our four-part SPAC series. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For David Lee, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 